I love being able to talk about brands that I use on my podcast, and I've personally been using this one for over five years. Our sponsor, Nature's Way Alive, women's multivitamin gummies are specifically formulated for women. They contain 16 vitamins and minerals, including the full B vitamin complex to help convert food into fuel and have the added benefit of supporting healthy hair, skin, and nails. With just two delicious gummies, Nature's Way Alive, women's multivitamin gummies are an easy way to feel like your best self every day. To learn more, visit naturesway.com slash Gemma10 and use code Gemma10 at checkout for 10% off any alive women's multivitamins. Terms and conditions apply, valid through June 30th. Managing our money in our 20s can feel like a bit of a challenge, whether you're saving for your first car or for a big overseas trip. It can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you are trying to manage your money in your 20s or trying to run a small business, Intuit helps you take control through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. There is a whole collection of black lead products at Walmart that can fit into your daily routine. And in every purchase, there is power. So show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month, but all year long. Because every time we buy a black lead brand, we make room for another. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choice at Walmart. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing black owned products that you can add to your daily routine. Hello and welcome back to The Psychology of Your 20s, the podcast where we talk through some of the big changes and transitions of our 20s and what they mean for our psychology. This week we're discussing the psychology of failure. Um, This was inspired by a Sex and the City episode. I've been obsessed with that show recently. I don't know why, maybe it's like moving to a new city, a big city, that's really got me into it, but Carrie did a, did an, um, what is it called? An article, I guess, on failure, and I was like, this is great inspiration from the podcast, or for the podcast. So uh, from now on, all podcast episodes will make direct references to Sex and the City episodes. But that aside, I think the reason why it kind of stuck with me is because we're all inevitably going to fail in our 20s, probably multiple times, whether at work or uni, in relationships, dealing with finances or leaps of faith where we fall short. Even just like perceiving failure in things that aren't really failures, they're just mistakes or things we wish we'd done differently. So I think it's important to kind of get our head around it and for me at the moment I think there's just been a few things in the past six months where I've felt like a sense of failure for some reason um perhaps it's unjustified but yeah most of these episodes I kind of just do because it's something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment so if you're in the same boat hopefully you get something out of this episode but before we dive in I just want to say thank you for all the support and love um my two recent episodes have gotten the one I did the two that I did with Claudia I have been getting heaps of messages from people who have been tuning in 
and honestly it makes me so happy it makes my day um I like heard this quote the other day um and it says when you put something out there in the world 10% of people are going to hate it 80% of people are going to be indifferent and 10% of people are going to love it so for all of those who do love it thank you so much for reading for reaching out to me and making that known and if you do feel called to do so please consider leaving a review on either Spotify and Apple Podcasts it would be obviously massively appreciated it helps the podcast grow helps my ego a little bit um, and then as always, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Failure is such a messy, messy concept in our younger years when small mistakes can feel so life altering and permanent. But the more mistakes we make, the more I guess we learn that they aren't the end of the world, the consequences don't last forever, and the more we kind of learn in general. So this episode we're going to talk about why failure is important in this decade of our lives, how it affects our behavior and our self-concept and how to overcome negative feelings or perhaps a fear of failure, how to move on. So let's go. (laughs) I think failure is not just confined to our professional or academic lives as we so often think they are. You can fail at so many things in your 20s and chances are it's going to be the first of many more times we experience that feeling. Um, Like I said, I do think we often think about failure in terms of constructed, you know, almost artificial settings where you either pass or you fail. There's no gray area and the decision is kind of made for you, you know, failing an exam, failing a driving assessment, failing to get a job that you really wanted. But in this episode, I want to kind of push that a little bit further and talk about a sense of failing um, at something more intangible and the sense that you can fail in any area of your life, not just academic, professional or an examination sense. So an example, I was talking to a dear friend the other day about her long-term relationship that had ended um, just recently and they had been together for two years and as we were kind of debriefing and going through the timeline of events, I asked her if she told her parents yet. And she said no, that she hadn't. And when I asked her why, she said she was embarrassed. She didn't want them to think that she had failed at her relationship. And I remember having a similar feeling after someone I was dating. After I ended things, I felt like such a failure, a failure for having invested time in this person, a failure for not having seen the red flags, seen the signs, for having told my friends and my family that I really liked this guy, only for, you know, things to come to an end in a way that was like not amazingly satisfactory. And in the aftermath, I feel like I felt like I couldn't trust myself or my judgment anymore. And that's such a critical feature of the sense of failing, the self-loathing that comes afterwards. So we are going to metaphorically kind of fail at so many things in our 20s. We're going to fail at keeping friendships, fail at feeling successful enough. Sometimes the stakes are really high. But for most people, I would say, this decade of our 20s is a time when failures won't mean the end of the world or life as you know it. I'm guessing you don't have kids, you don't have big financial responsibilities, meaning you have a bit more of a safety net. You can always pick up your life and move, you know, nothing's really holding you 
holding you down to the environment that you made those failures in. So it's the perfect time to kind of teach yourself to pick yourself up and learn the lessons that that moment and that experience was intended to teach you. And the chances are you'll fail again and again and again in different ways until one day you'll just start failing at something different. So what does psychology have to say about the impact of failure on our minds, our behavior, our self-concept? How can we adopt, I guess, a more positive relationship with making mistakes and failing in this formative decade of our lives? So failure, it hits us where it hurts for a number of reasons, and it starts really early on in childhood, as so many reactions and patterns often do. Failure and fault are virtually inseparable in so many households, in so many organizations and cultures. Every child learns at some point that admitting failure also means taking blame. Perhaps you're you're scolded or you're told to go to bed, you know, you let the dog outside by accident or you fail a test and you receive some form of punishment for your behavior and your failure, which leads to a negative internal reaction and a bad feeling that you inherently want to avoid. So after repeated positive or negative punishment, so either the removal of a good thing or the introduction of a bad thing to influence our behavior by an outside force, maybe a parent or a teacher, soon we don't even need those figures in our lives to make us feel bad and to get us to avoid mistakes. We have internalized that feeling and now we have a fear of failing. We stop ourselves from failing because we've had enough experiences to anticipate what will happen if we do. We've been conditioned to know the outcome of our failures and to know that those are not great outcomes. They're things we want to avoid. So we begin to self-monitor and inflict that negative feeling or punishment that we normally receive from an external figure on ourselves. So these early learning experiences, I think, are why so few cultures and people have shifted to an attitude of almost psychological safety in which the rewards of learning from failure can be fully realized. And there's another key reason we avoid failure, and it has to do with the perception of interpersonal or group shame. At the root of failure and a fear of failure is shame, which is a very unpleasant emotion associated with feeling like you're a bad person or are a flawed or defective individual. If I make a mistake, if I fail, how does that affect who I am and how I see myself as well as how others see me. How will others see me is such a huge element of this anti-failure conundrum. And there's a very traditional and well-treaded idea in psychology that humans naturally seek the favor, acceptance, and admiration of the groups that they belong to. Maybe it's your friendship group, your family group, your religious group, um, your academic group, we want to we want to be in the in group basically. And one way that we we stay liked by the group we are in is by sticking to the rules or blueprint on what behavior is accepted, what actions and outcomes are accepted, and which ones aren't. And if we stray, we may be outcast. And when we were primitive beings, that meant you know pretty much certain death if you weren't part of a tribe or a group. And that 
that sense of fear, that fear reaction, it survives today in our limbic system. And that's a crucial part of the old brain that controls our behavior to ensure survival, often unconsciously. And that's a big part of this. It's unconscious. So let's give an example. Say you make like a really big mistake at work, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You fail to kind of meet your boss's expectations for, I don't know, a presentation or whatever, whatever you do for work. And the consequences of this will likely be criticism or some kind of critique that feels like rejection. And for a while, you might not feel like you are as respected or liked at work. You may not feel as accepted by the group. And that's where a big failure of failure comes from. The notion that you could be cast out from a group whose respect and favor you unconsciously need, you want, you crave. And the impact of failure is pretty magnificent on our self-concept and our, and our confidence. Self-esteem or our self-concept, it's a self-evaluation construct that corresponds to an overall view of what we kind of contemplate and evaluate about ourselves, both internally, how we see ourselves and how we think others see us. Successes and failures, um, they're just inextricably linked to that and they influence your mood, they influence your emotional states, um, all to varyingly, varying degrees as well as self-esteem levels insofar that these events are perceived as personal successes or failures which either contribute to the image you have or detract from it. Emotions and self-esteem, they're linked in everyday experience, such that people with high self-esteem report more positive states of emotion and people who lack self-worth are generally in more of a negative mood. So when we fail, when a relationship breaks apart, when we lose a job or we miss out on an opportunity, this influences the characteristics and thoughts we assign to ourselves and can be really damaging for our self-esteem. And it can take a while to recover and receive the necessary reinforcement to rebuild those aspects of our identity that have been threatened by a failure. And I think, importantly, for kind of like the modern 20-something person, social media also threatens to make every slip-up an extinction-level event, socially and professionally, which contributes to this shame avoidance framework for our fear of failure that we kind of discussed before. Good news. When we get older, our failures don't seem to hurt our self-concept and the opinion or image we hold of ourselves as much. So in one study, researchers found that the impact that perceived failure has on our positive emotional states, it declines the older we are. I think older adults are assumed to change their affect states and reaction to positive and negative stimuli across the lifespan, but to less severe degrees. They also have more experiences and learning opportunities to now be able to appraise a potential failure for what it actually represents, which is something that isn't a really big deal. According to a lot of theoretical frameworks, older adults are just better equipped to regulate their emotional states and to use this regulatory ability to manage positive and negative emotions that may affect how they see themselves. To kind of see them as something that, yes, is related and yes, influences how they see themselves, but isn't the be all and end all. So I guess that is something to look forward to.
But in our 20s, there are certain people who can handle failure better than others. And I'm sure you've seen this amongst your friends. You know, the person who experiences a huge setback and it doesn't seem to bother them versus, I guess, people like myself who it really does kind of get to. So this psychologist, Taya Cohen from Carnegie Mellon, I think. Yeah, that's it. Carnegie Mellon makes the distinction between guilt-prone people and shame-prone people. So bear with me here. When some people make mistakes, they tend to focus more narrowly on their behavior. You know, I made a mistake. I did a bad thing. And now I'm going to think of ways to correct for this. I'm going to improve. And that's an example of a guilt-prone person. They feel guilty for the mistake, but recognize it and use it as kind of motivation to change something outside of themselves and act in a way that they can avoid the problem in the future. And this psychologist, Cohen, says this type of person is different than the other group of shame-prone people. So the shame-prone person is kind of like this. If you do something wrong, you might think, I'm a bad person, rather than just, I did a bad thing and I made a mistake. And if you think you're a bad person, that's much harder to counteract. And that might lead you to withdraw from people. So a healthier response to failure is focusing on specific behaviours rather than looking at the experience as a reflection of yourself. Because you can easily change your behaviour, but it's much harder to change who you are or who you think you are. Researchers have also found that people who strongly fear failure have a composite of two personality characteristics – Low achievement orientation, that is, they don't take much pleasure from accomplishment and meeting goals, and high test anxiety, a fear of not performing well at a critical moment. So in other words, they're motivated less by the possibility of winning and gaining something of value, and they're more motivated by their anxiety about the possibility of messing up. And those are some of the same personality traits that drive perfectionism and it can show up in people who are high achievers and people who are less motivated to achieve doesn't matter in fact perfectionism i think and fear of failure go hand in hand from a clinical perspective there's one type of individual for whom failure is particularly hard to deal with and overcome and if this is you i'm so sorry But maybe you'll listen to this kind of profile of this person and, you know, be able to be like, oh, it's not me, it's this condition. So, adelophobia is a phobia or deep fear of failure, which may lead people to avoid any any situation where failure could take place. Hence, isolating themselves from new and novel experiences and opportunities. So adelophobia is often referred to as perfectionism, and whilst it is considered extreme perfectionism, this associate professor of psychiatry at the Will Cornell Medical College, his name is Dr. Gale Saltz, he says that it's more than that. It is a true irrational, and that's the key word when we think about phobias, irrational, fear of making any form of mistakes. As with any phobia, people with adelophobia think about the fear of making a mistake in a way that means they have to avoid situations where there's a risk of that happening. And that's the other key feature of a phobia, avoidance. So irrational and avoidance. And they also obsess a lot about mistakes that they've made in the past or imagine mistakes 
they could make in the future. And these thoughts kind of cause them to have overwhelming anxiety, another aspect of a phobia. So it might make them feel panicky or nauseous, dizzy or experience a rapid heartbeat. That kind of panic that sets in for a fear of failure, which is irrational. And it often leads to constant judgment and a negative evaluation that you can never believe you're doing things the right way. And it's a kind of perfectionism that's more than just striving for excellence or ambition. You know, we all innately wish to be successful. However, on some level, the average person can anticipate, accept and tolerate shortcomings. We can tolerate mistakes and failed attempts. But people with adalophobia, they just feel crushed by even the idea of a failed attempt. And it often makes them miserable and depressed and perhaps like, I don't know if this is part of the clinical definition, but definitely probably worse off because they aren't actually ever able to try new things and learn lessons from situations in which you're inevitably going to fail. I think an intense fear of failure is not a place we want to be in. And there's a saying, fail hard, fail soon and fail often. And I really love this saying, even if I struggle to fully realise it most of the time, We talked about the shift in mind frame earlier, but how is it that we can have a healthy relationship with failure such that it creates growth rather than shame? How can we be okay with failing often and not only be okay with it, but make it part of our life philosophy? Okay, I'm not going to give you a simple equation here um, because I'm not a licensed psychologist. I'm not a, I don't know, a life coach. Nor am I going to say, you know, our failure is, is avoidable if you just try a little harder. Like, we can get away with never failing. Um, that's silly talk. That is so silly. Um, obviously, you're going to fail. Isn't that just, that's a part of life. You know, my every parent has said that to you, I'm sure. But I think it's important to talk about how our relationship with failure can change for the better. So there's a common clinical tool in psychology. <clears throat> it's called cognitive behavior therapy. For those who haven't heard about it, um, which I'm sure if you've ever been to a therapist, you have. But the gist is this. If you can change your perception of an event or an experience so that you would praise it as being positive or at the very least not life ruining, you allow yourself to behave in a manner that reflects that new mind frame. So it's kind of like, I don't know, like a train. Like if you get the first part of, of the train moving, the second part follows. And we can apply this to failure. Choose a reasoning that works best for you. So maybe it's failure is nothing but an opportunity to grow or everyone fails. No one's paying attention to me in particular. Maybe it's, you know, every with every failure, I'm one step closer to doing this right. Whatever justification you need, you get to choose it. Find the thing that you can accept more than you can, you know, not accept failure. And repeat that until you no longer feel threatened by the idea of screwing up or hurt by previous mistakes and failures that you've made. It's almost like an affirmation or it's like a soothing tool. Your cognition of a situation is linked to how you behave or react to that situation, as CBT says. Therefore, if you change your perception around failure, your acceptance of it as a part of life and something important will follow suit. 
I think also importantly, you need to detach the outcomes of your actions to your self-concept. And that's something we talked about when we were referring to older people and how they're kind of more chill with it. Failure, um, it's linked to feelings and emotions like sadness, anxiety, stress, maybe even rage. And those feelings are incredibly uncomfortable for any person. And we would do anything to get rid of them. But they don't need to become deeply embedded truths about yourself. Those feelings and emotions will help you work harder to find different and better solutions in order for you to improve the next time. If you recognize that the consequences of your actions are just that. They're an outcome of a series of events and decisions, not just your self-concept. Sometimes there are things you can't control. You're not defective because you failed. There's always going to be new opportunities. There's going to be new things to strive for. So I think with much of psychology, embracing that negative state while it's there, learning from it, not trying to avoid it, that can lead to healthy coping mechanisms rather than isolation, projection, or suppression it's not very growth mindset of you if you just suppress those negative feelings and worst case scenario it might lead to like a phobic pattern of behavior in which you don't even allow yourself to be in situations where you could make a mistake and then are you really fulfilling your potential i don't know those are just some of my 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 more nuanced musings i hope that Despite the weird ramblings of this episode, you've managed to take something in, learn something about the psychology. It's a bit of a shorter episode this week, I know, I'm sorry. Um, I guess it's interesting, like, failure, I've kind of been feeling that a lot recently. Um, just with, like, making a big life decision, friendships ending, relationships ending. Um, yeah, and just feeling pretty down on myself about how come I couldn't have anticipated the outcomes of some of my actions a little bit better but at the end of the day I think this is just such a learning period in everyone's life if you're around the same age as me which I'm guessing you are if you're listening to this podcast yeah I just think changing your mind frame is so important away from you know I failed I failed I failed to like what did I learn here and just some of those recent experiences, like there's just been so many lessons that have come through, um, despite like, you know, the, like not so much pain, but like the hurt of the experiences. Um, so yeah, just very excited to like for the next chapter, I guess. <laughs> but I think that's also silly. There's never chapters. It's just one big life, one big story, no chapters needed. Um, anyhow, sorry. <laughs> just using this as my personal journal I guess sometimes I find it that way because I know that I'll be the one probably listening back to this in 10 years <laughs> and it's good to kind of know where I was at but I hope you did enjoy this episode I hope you learned something I hope if you have adolophobia you get some help because that shit sounds brutal and thanks again for listening follow us on Instagram follow us on Facebook I never use the Facebook page but it's there if that's your cup of tea leave a review I love when people leave me reviews I'll be sending you air kisses from afar if you do that and I hope you have a magnificent week I know uni started again I know work's back on people are starting new jobs it's all very exciting so throughout all that don't be scared to fail 
and don't be scared to reach out and listen to the podcast. Wow, that was really smooth. Anyhow, (laughs) I will see you guys soon. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock, one at Flatiron Plaza in New York City and one at Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles from 8am to 8pm with giveaways dropping every hour on the hour. It is the perfect time to try, like and share black lead products. It's free, it's for everyone and it's your chance to see how you can level up your daily routine with black lead products that are creating a new world of choice at Walmart. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Ugh, our 20s. The drunk dialing, the forgetting to wash our face at night, and yes, neglecting our teeth. Don't do that last one. You only get one set of teeth, so you need to protect them. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface and locks in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. Pronamel also makes a new mouthwash, which helps to repair acid-weakened enamel beyond brushing alone. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy your toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com today. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.